Whoa, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway, and this is a GDP Minute. Listen, normally I re-record these like three, four times, but I just want to be honest about the moment. Um, We just ran an episode with Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, and when I had started the podcast now 18 months ago, um, this was always the goal. This was always not the goal, but a goal, saying like, okay, if we're going to be legit in this city, we got to get the mayor up. I have probably harassed his press team over 40 to 42 times. I know him all by first name. I've reached out to all of them on email a gazillion times. It's kind of part of the hustle that you guys don't see because people don't really want to know about all the gritty gritty. But I just knew we had to get him up. And I knew if we just kept pushing and kept pushing with the show and we kept going – that we would get him on the show, and I knew it was a big deal. And listen, that's that's just a goal. And a podcast is a conversation with someone, and that dude's the man. That was that was a blast. Really good dude. Really laid back. Um, he obviously talked a lot about COVID. Talked about some of the things he's looking forward to. His haircut, and um, I'm just really really grateful. You you have these thoughts in your head, like these ideas and these goals and then you just it's weird when they happen it's just like really weird because you always imagine them happening and then they do happen and you're like whoa what the hell and so we're fresh off a of big w so i just wanted to share that with everybody um not every day is like this whatsoever but uh I, I promise to continue to build in boston as much as i can and uh this is really really just a start and i just want to shout out the team for getting this done too without further ado And listen, please, please just share the podcast with a friend if you enjoy it. Um, We want to turn it. We want to get it much bigger in the city. We're good people over here. I'm just a fucking grinder, man, when it comes down to it. I'm just a hustler, dog. Um, I just want to share with a friend. Just subscribe, share. And um, thanks so much for everybody tuning in and supporting us up to this point. We're going to keep going. Enjoy, doggy. Big wins. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. And listen, if the stream butts out, just don't even tell me, all right? Don't even want to know. <laughs> I have good feelings about this one. <laughs> I do too, man. Anyway, we're, we're still going to run an episode with the mayor. We'll be okay. You know I got a lot of things like Brennan, what was that cow yesterday? What is it? That's your guy? 
They text me saying they're running a few minutes late. Hey, if you're in the stream right now and we're still rolling, I hope to God it's still rolling. YouTube's been taking us down this morning. I am Connor Hallway. This is Golden Deer Productions, man. We are, we started GDP in, I want to say late 2016 when I filmed this wedding. It was, I had to make a flyer. And so I went into my college's computer lab and I made a flyer. Cause I was like, I want to book this wedding gig. So I booked the wedding gig because I sent them a flyer with golden deer productions on it. I ended up filming the wedding and it was the most terrible video of all time. And since then we've deviated a lot, quite obviously, but we have never stopped. And now we're here, man. And it's a really sweet moment. And I hope we can come through for everybody. And we're just starting. Tell me the stream stole on guys. Just tell me. Mayor Walsh. What's up, Connor? Mayor, Mayor Walsh, man. How are you? Everybody, how are you? Sorry, I was on the trying to get off the phone. Well, you're one of the most busy guys of all time, man, so you get a pass. Oh, God. Hey, are uh, you a Somerville guy, Connor? I'm not a Somerville guy. I'm, from? I'm from Lincoln and Cambridge, Mass. My parents oh, were yeah. split. Oh, okay, good for you. Hey, man, I just want to say thank you for all you've been doing for us. I appreciate it, bud. Thank you for having me on today. And I know you have a you're on a tight schedule. Your press team's like, is militant. Oh, they're good. <laughs> Anna's good. She's right here. She's on top of me too. Making Anna, sure I don't mess up. Anna, Audrey, and TJ, thank you for making this happen. <laughs> they're great people. Three great people right there. Hey, uh, how many interviews have you done in the past like eight weeks? You just tired oh my of it? God. So many interviews. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, uh, I'm on like uh, CNN and MSNBC a lot, which is kind of funny. Like I'm a guy from, I grew up in Dorchester and uh, you know, I grew up like a lot of people and, you know, realizing like I'm on national TV so much. It's kind of, it's, it's crazy. Have you had, have you had any moments? Well, first, before we move on, I have my producers on the phone. I got Sarah Slugs and Brendan. Guys, say what's up to the mayor. Hi, how are you? Hey, Sarah, hey, Brendan. Um, have you had moments the past like six, seven weeks? Like what has your day-to-day -day been like? Are you just, yeah, you know, Monday through Friday, every day really, but Monday through Friday, I um, usually get up, you know, six-ish, uh, read the papers real quick, see what's in them, um, get ready, go to work. Uh, I have an eight o'clock call every morning here in City Hall. Uh, that's seven days a week. With your uh, cabinet? It's a call about um, what what happened in the previous 24 hours and what our plan for the next 24 hours is as far as as far as finding problem solutions, executing the problem. Uh, it's really made us more efficient as a government uh, where we have, uh, we, we, you have 24 hours to find a solution to an issue. Uh, the issues are fast and every day they're different. Um, and then at 9.30, we do a call with the hospitals um, and talk about what their capacity is in the course of the day. Uh, you know, what we're seeing as far as uh, level of capacity in, in COVID ICU beds, COVID beds in, in the hospital, and then how they're treating other people. 10 o'clock, I do a city council call every day in the city with the city council to up inform them on what we're doing because we want to try and keep a, 
a good uh, flow of information, transparency going down. Well, and then hold on that, real quick. You, but you are in city hall. That's, that's the fortress. Right Monday now, right? Friday, I'm in city hall. Um, probably roughly most of the day. Um, I have not done any public events in the last eight weeks. I have not, um, gone to any, anything. I've been invited to like the hospital, the, the convention center hospital. I just feel, feel it's, if I'm telling, asking people to stay home and asking people to, to practice social distancing, I feel it's really important that I do the same. So I've not gone to any public events. Do you miss it? You miss the big crowds, man? Oh my God. I miss people. I, I miss, <laughs> I'm a big hugger and shake, shake our hands. And, um, you know, just like, I miss all that. And I, and I love being, I love being out in the neighborhoods and, and I, I really do miss it. Um, and, and it's strange because uh, I'm around, you know, in here, we have about 15 people that are in the mayor's office. We keep it very tight. And then I spend time with my family and, and, you know, and I see my mother, uh, I go to the house and see, she comes out to the door and that's it. And, uh, yeah. You miss that. God. Yeah. You miss the crowds at the press conferences, like the, the ego trip, everyone's watching you, man. No, it, you know, that's a little different. You know, the press conferences for me, it's about trying to get information out to people and knowledge. I mean, I per prefer not to have to do press conferences. Uh, the, the difference between this press conference and say other ones is that this press conference is all about COVID. Uh, there's no other questions. And generally when you do a press conference or they call it a press scrum, when I go to an event, like I could get asked anything about any, any issue and ask like, what's my feeling on this? You know, what's my feeling on that? Um, in, in this case, it's been pretty much just simply um, coronavirus. So how do, you, how do you designate tasks now and delegate now for non-COVID? For like, let's yeah, say there's like some sort of crime spike in the city or there's some sort of MBTA breakdown or development. Just in general, I mean, when, when, when we made the decision to close uh, basically everything down uh, and, and people working from home, uh, we've asked people that work for the city, continue to do your job. So there's a lot of need still in the city of Boston. That doesn't mean that people looking for housing or people looking for employment or people looking for uh, a tree to be cut or, or a park to be cleaned, that none of that stopped. So it, it's gotten less as a request, but we continue to operate city hall remotely as, as it always has, because that's really important that we do that. Now water and sewer pipes bursts, you know, there, there's fires obviously and, and issues with the fire department, EMT still responds to calls. And our police department um, is still dealing with, with, with violence in the street. So um, it's a little different because when we have conversations about it in the past, we kind of collectively gather in a room and we talk about what the strategy moving forward is. Now it's all on Zoom call. Uh, and, and it's harder to respond in some cases, particularly, you know, we've seen a little uptick here in, in some shootings in Boston the last, say, two weeks. Uh, and that's usually a spring summertime thing though anyway right yeah it is but but we've seen a little more this year um the last couple of years have been kind of quiet so what we do is we pull all the all the community organizers in a room uh people activists in a room and we talk about a plan moving forward and now we have to do it remotely and it's a little complicated because it's not typical it's not typical it just seems a little different so we have to we're adjusting to how what the normal is for today i mean hopefully we go back to the way it was where we can get in a room again and talk about stuff Hey, I can't give you any celebrity treatment here. What is, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do for anyone listening? Yeah, Marty Walsh, uh, mayor of the city of Boston. Um, I grew up uh, in Dorchester, um, lifelong Dorchester resident. My parents come from Ireland, so they're immigrants. Uh, my, my dad died uh, 10 years ago, so I grew up in an immigrant household. Uh, I, went to, uh, I went to school at uh, Newman Prep High School in the Back Bay. I went to Boston College Evening College. I got my degree. I was about 40-something years old when I got my degree at college. I, I quit school, and a whole bunch of things happened in my life in the past. And uh, where, where did you finish up at, BC? BC. 
and I went to, I, I got elected to the State House in 1997. I worked with uh, those of you that are um, 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 Cambridge folks. I worked with uh, Denise Provost. I worked with uh, uh, um, Pat Jalen at State Representatives back in the day when they were reps, and then Pat went over to the Senate. And, and um, so uh, I served 16 years in the House of Representatives, and then uh, I ran for mayor in 2013. Well, besides the first mayoral race, what was your toughest race, do you think? Oh, my first race for rep. That was the what? toughest race. It, Why, I, were, you, were you wicked young? I was young. I was like, you know, I was running. People were like, what are you running for? You can't win. And, you know, I just got, I was about a year and a half sober at the time. And I always wanted to run. It was just, and, and like, I had no elected official support. I just had a bunch of kids, people from the neighborhood help me out. And uh, it was awesome. It was like the just rush. Door to door. Incredible. Say that again? Was it just door to door? Oh, door to door every day. And I had a young guy with me and like, I'd want to quit knocking doors at the course of the day. He'd make me knock one more street and thank God he did. I won by like 240 votes, something like that in the, fi in, in the final there. But that was an, an incredible race. And, and, you know, I, I kind of knew politics and I was, I was not young. I was 29 years old, but I thought I knew everything. Um, and, and uh, you know, I learned a lot. It was a really amazing opportunity experience. How much has your, campaign strategy changed over the years now that the internet's here because that first race must was late 90s right yeah you know it, it's funny when i'm in the race I, I tend to go back to the old school campaigning but you know uh, so example when, when i ran for rep there was no twitter when i ran for mayor hey your uh, twitter is your twitter is immaculate by the way man yeah well it took a long time <laughs> to get there thank you I'd like to take credit for it but there's a lot of other people so the, the, i know i see the ones you signed though mjw mjw um, the, um, so when I was running for mayor, obviously we got on Twitter, I think I started with like 800 followers. And then in that race for mayor, I, you know, I, I was watching my opponents, all their Twitter accounts to see how many Twitter falls they had. John Conley had the most. And as we get to the final, like we surpassed John, I think we had 20,000 Twitter followers. So in that race, it did have an impact, but let me fast forward four years later. Um, now we have in the, on the, on the, on the, on the city side, we, I think we have 200 and almost 300,000 followers. But on the campaign side, Facebook, we had over 100,000 followers. So the campaign's a little different. It's a lot of social media. It's a lot of Facebook. It's a lot of directed ads. Uh, it, it's it's, it's kind of targeting. Uh, you would say younger people, but there's a lot of everyone's on Facebook now. So when you think about that. Um, Every, everyone in your demographic, Mayor. My demographic, not so much. No, you, I'm so I mean, I meant to say that. The, the, old, and the older generation now, when I say older, the people in the 70s and 80s on Facebook. Um, we're, now we're going back. Now we're looking at, uh, we're doing a lot more, uh, a lot more younger social media, trying to hit everyone, Instagram, things like that. Have you guys started a TikTok account yet? No, we don't have a TikTok yet. I'm looking at Anna to see if we have a TikTok yeah. yet. We talked yeah. about it. We have to, I'll have one though. Trust me. After this, after this, uh, this call right here, we're going to start one up. Hey, um, so real quick, I cut you off. So after 1030, you have that city council call. Then what's next? You like put on a hazmat suit, your mask, you take some no, random calls all day. It's, it's, it's it, every day is different. I mean, like this has been the strangest thing. And I know people can identify with this, but um, every single day is the same, but they're very different. And for me, it's like, you know, cause the, the challenge is, you know, in early days we're, we're shutting businesses down and we're trying to, we're trying to keep people safe. And as we're, as we're tr progressing now, eight weeks in, uh, we still have to practice social distancing, physical distancing, and all that stuff to stop the spread of the virus. But we also now are transitioning into what does it look like to open up again? And how do you do it? And, 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 and you know, people are getting antsy. I get that. I get all that. Um, you know, as we talk about uh, kind of reopening society, 
you know, the, the federal government, the CDC is telling us that we're going to see this big surge in cases and deaths in, in June. So how do you, because I think once you reopen, you can't shut down again, in my opinion. Uh, it'll be detrimental. So we have to figure out how do you do that safely. How do you personally mitigate the, the pressures on you to reopen? Because I'm sure people are breathing down your neck. Like, hey, man, I'm making no money. You got to open the city back up. I got to get back to work. How do you just say like, hey, relax. Like you got to be patient for a little bit. I think it's a day at a time and it's the it's messaging and it's also pushing the federal government, the state government, the city government to make sure that there's some safety nets in place for people. But I mean, you personally, like, do you feel that like someone breathing down your neck right now to get this done? No, I, it's there, but, but I, I, I live my life a day at a time. So I only focus on today. I try not to think about tomorrow. Um, so that, 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 that mindset of a day at a time helps me get through those pressure moments. Our fearless leader. Let's go. <laughs> hey, how have you been keeping the haircut crispy? There's a lot of gel in this hair right now. You haven't been cutting it? If you see this, I get a little buzz in the back. Larry's buzzing me in the back, but I can't do much. It's like there's a lot of gel pushing this sucker down. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I think, um, could you simplify kind of for my demographic what reopening would kind of look like? I know you probably get a million of these questions. I would yeah. just be remiss if I didn't ask it. So I, I think when I think about reopening, uh, first and foremost, I think having information and data is key. Um, when, when you think about who's impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, um, people who are losing their life, most, most of the folks that have, have passed away are in the demographic of 60 plus. Um, poor health moving forward. So, so when you think about reopening, the demographic from 18 to 50, um, good health, uh, generally safe. You, you could get the coronavirus. Your, your risk of, of passing is very low. Um, so when I think about how do we reopen society, is there a way for us to open it that we kind of pay attention and keep some, some precautions in there for older folks, um, 60 plus, to make sure that they're safe? And, and how do we get younger folks, um, not only to, uh, they potentially, when you go back to work, go back to work, but still continue to protect yourself and not take, not take the virus. If you, get, if you come in contact with the virus, take it into your house. So we're working through all those different uh, opportunities now and looking at it. And when you think about this, just think about the scale, okay? We focus generally on restaurants and we focus generally on like flower salons and golf and things like that. But when you think about going back to society, you know, how do, how do restaurants work? How do offices work? How do venues work? Like the, the garden for the Celtics and the Bruins and then the Fenway for the Red Sox and eventually September Patriots and like the concerts. How does a concert work? How does like the, the House of Blues work? So all of those things we have to think through as we think about how, 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 we, how we open these safely, allow people to go out, go back to their life and enjoy things. Like, I mean, I miss music. I miss sports. I miss going out. I miss all that stuff like everyone else does. Um, I, I, miss, I just miss the, the gathering of people. I was going to say, first day reopened, right? You raise your hand. You say, Boston is open. Where's the first place you're going? Um, oh, God, there's a lot of firsts I want to go to. I'm hoping the Bruins and Celtics come back so we can finish the season off and watch some sports. Yeah, I know. I wonder, I feel, what are they doing for all the TD Garden workers right now? Do, are they on furlough? Some are on furlough. Some, some, some are on furlough. Some were laid off. Uh, some of the folks that got an interesting, there's a staff that they, I think they furloughed most of their employees that are full-time employees and most of their part-time employees. Um, they basically, they're not working there anymore. Um, the Bruins, they put some money aside for the, the, and I'm not sure where it is now. They get some controversy on it. They put some money aside for the part-time workers. 
Uh, a lot of people who are furloughed or laid off should, uh, are, I think most of everyone should be eligible for collecting unemployment, um, both statewide and in the initial from the federal government. So people uh, are, are, you know, they're, they're supplementing or they're keeping their lost income available. The, the, the people I'm concerned about are like undocumented immigrants. What happens to those folks? They don't, they can't apply for unemployment. They can't apply for assistance. Like that whole group of people, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's just out there and, and that's going to cause a lot of havoc and poverty. I've also been thinking a lot about the people on Meth Mile. Excuse me to call yeah. it Meth Mile. I know it's inappropriate, but like, what, like I mean, what's been going with them? I'm in recovery and, um, you know, um, you know, I, 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 you know, identify with those folks. I mean, it's, it's a tough place to be when you, when you, when you're stuck in the middle of, a, of addiction, substance use disorder. Um, we, we create, we're out there counseling people. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, Corona related, has there been a spike in the area? Oh, no, uh, well, we've seen some of it, but, but a lot, again, it's about testing. Uh, it, let me use the homeless population. They did kind of two separate. So we, we've tested 1800 homeless people in Boston for coronavirus and 33% of them come back positive for coronavirus. Um, we set up hospitals. You said 33%? 33% tested positive. Wow. What, what's interesting is though, and I'm trying to find out this reason, only two people have passed that are homeless with coronavirus. So we're seeing people in nursing homes die at a higher rate. We're not seeing it on the street. And I can't say if this is just a Boston thing or, or a nationwide thing. So we're trying, I'm trying to figure out like their body right now, and, and I'm not a doctor and, and, and don't quote me on this, but there's something about their immune system that, that, that is protecting them from, from passing away because they're not in the best of health and they've been living on the street for a long time. Uh, so we're seeing some folks not, I thought we'd see potentially uh, more people pass away and we've only seen two so far. Thank God. Uh, well, how do you track that? Isn't that probably yeah, we, tra track. we track it through healthcare for the homeless. We track it through uh, our facility, Pine Street Inn, St. Francis house, all the organizations, Rosie's place, all the organizations were working one big collaborative. And to go back to, let me just go back real quick to, to Mass and Menlina. Uh, we're working, uh, we've set up um, areas for folks to be able to come uh, get tested. Uh, and, and we're trying to get information out to people as well to let them know the, the impact of coronavirus and to make sure that they understand how to protect themselves as well. So I think another question that me and my producers want to hit on was the college economy. And how is that going to shift Boston economy as a whole if some of these kids don't come back to school and they just have to remote learn? Because these are the kids that are flooding the bars and buying all the food and booze and partying. Yeah, it's, 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 it's going to I mean, it's going to have a big impact. It's not just there, but they're also our workforce. Um, a lot of kids work, um, it, it, you know, part time when they're going to college here from other places. Uh, they rent apartments uh, in, in the city. They, they, they give to our economy. So it's going to have a big impact. Um, I'm, I'm working with the college presidents now on what a reopening looks like in college. Uh, and this, um, it's too early to really get into a deep conversation here, but there's a lot of questions around testing students, how are they going to deal with on-campus housing? Um, a lot of students have, a lot of colleges have like foreign exchange programs where kids go away for semesters and learn abroad. That for all intents and purposes is not going to happen in September. So that's thousands of additional kids that aren't going to be going overseas to learn. So they're going to be here in Boston, which is going to add to the housing crunch and other things. So, I mean, I think that there, there is a big segment. We get about 200,000 people a year that come into Boston that go to college here. Um, that's good. That potentially have a, it's already had a huge impact. I mean, we for all intents and purposes, college could close down in March. So it's already had a big impact on our economy. 
Hey, B and Slugs, I want to make sure you guys have a, a chance to ask your questions. You want to start, Brendan? Yeah, sure. So I know there's been questions about antibody testing and um, the efficacy of it, and also how long immunity lasts. Um, can you just clarify your position on antibodies and how that factors into your plan? Yeah, what we're doing, um, what we're doing right now is as, as we shift over to data and looking at what we need to see, um, to give us a good concise picture of what's going on in Boston or Cambridge or Somerville or Massachusetts, uh, we have to, you have to do the two tests. You have to do the antibody test to see if you, if you have had the coronavirus or, or if you're immune to the coronavirus. Uh, and then you have to do the coronavirus test to get a real snapshot on where we're moving forward. The issue is access to testing. Um, we, we have opened up 19 testing sites in Boston, five in the hospitals and 14 in, in health centers. We're looking at a mobile van now. We did a pilot program last week with Mass General Hospital with a thousand people in Boston to do antibody and coronavirus testing to try and get a snapshot of where we are in society. What the what 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 percentage of the population might have come in, in in contact with the coronavirus? I know I saw Michelle Wu. She was negative for the virus but positive for the antibodies, right? Yeah. So she yes. So 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 Michelle's part of the study. So that's that's good information to have. Now we're going to see be able to see like. How many people um, uh, have have uh, what their situation is, and, and it'll give us a little snapshot. But we have to scale that up in a bigger way. Well, well, to simplify that for anybody listening or tuning in, what that means is Michelle Wu, who's a, a city councilor, she at some point had the virus because she has the antibodies, but she's not currently sick from the virus, right? Yeah, no, she not she might not have necessarily had the virus. She could have had the virus, or she could be have have the immunity for it. So, so it's, it's, it's kind of, that's the one thing in this test that you, you can't tell if, if it was, if you're immune to it or if you had it. So there's a, there's a, there's a I guess, a 50-50 chance either way. It doesn't matter. All, all that we know is that Michelle goes in the category of somebody in the city that could safely go back to work, potentially. Uh, and, and if, depending on the percentage of that, you know, how many people we have there. Now, how does your relationship work with the governor in this whole thing like do you guys have to be on the same page about everything to move stuff forward i think a lot of people don't really understand how it works like you're the one running the city but he's the one running the state well i, I think you know i think it's important for us to be on the same page uh, i mean there, there have been times where we might not have been on the same page but i think it's really important for, for people in the public not to see their governors and mayors fighting publicly um you look at some of these other states i agree man I mean, you, you go, to, go to Georgia, uh, the mere bottoms of Atlanta, who's a friend, uh, is not on the same page as her governor is opening up the state. Um, you know, that makes it complicated, sends very mixed messages to people. You have the president, you know, depending on the day, saying whatever comes to his mind. Uh, that's real confusing for people. And I think that people <laughs> want consistency right now. They want consistency. You're right. You know? They don't want us fighting. They, they, people want us to, okay, what's the message coming from the state? What's the message coming from cities and towns? And if we're, if we're generally on the same page, then that's a consistent message. And people can say, okay, we can understand. But if I'm saying one thing, Baker, Governor Baker saying something different, it's like, well, what, what's, who do we listen to? People don't, there's enough stress in people's lives right now than to deal with people not being on the same page. Well, when this all started, I mean, obviously you're somewhat war tested now through it, but how are you making decisions? Because you a lot of this was you were acting on a whim correct because yeah, well, it was a whim but getting information from scientists and doctors and people that that had a lot of information on this um you know my first decisions and still today uh first and foremost my responsibility is to keep people of, of city of, of the city of boston safe uh 
and keep them uh, as safe as I can make them safe and not spreading the virus. That's my goal right now. Um, when I think about the next step moving forward, uh, it's about how do we open the economy so we can continue to, to be able to make investments in the programs that are important to me. And, and we, you know, we've done a lot around housing, we've done a lot around substance abuse, we've done a lot around uh, economic development, we've done a lot around disparities, we've done a lot around um, inequality and racism and things like that. Uh, we want to continue that, that work down the road as we think about transitioning. What I'll do with this case is what, what did I learn during coronavirus and what did I learn about best practices? Not, not necessarily about the virus, but about, about operating a city. And how can I take some of those efficiencies that I think we've done pretty well here in the city and incorporate them into society after we're, and not, not society, but incorporate them into the way we do our business here in the city when we go back to being normal again? Yeah, what, like what specifically? Decisions. Um, when I talk about the 24-hour decision, um, you know, we're on a call every day. So if, it, if an issue comes up, I'll give you an example. So today we're on the call and uh, we're getting a lot of calls in here uh, around mental health uh, you know i've been saying to people if you feel stressed and you're concerned you know call the city of boston we can hook you up with a counselor to talk about if your people's in a bad place in their mind um, we were heard here today we're getting a lot of calls and we're starting to be over capacity as far as what we can handle and when i said by tomorrow's call i want you to talk to me about did we bring on other third-party counselors to help people dealing with mental health and substance abuse what the, the call center is over capacity they're getting too many calls well, there's not, when we get the call, we transfer it over to a, a counselor and, and, you know, we're getting Darn a lot of calls okay. and they're getting overburdened. So we want to make sure we increase the capacity because what I said today on the phone is if somebody, if somebody has a suicidal thought or if somebody has a situation that they're just having a really hard time dealing with, um, they, they, we can't say, we're going to call you back next Tuesday. You know, we need to make sure that they, they get, they get the, the attention right away. You just be like, hold that thought for a sec. Yeah, just hold on to it. We'll get back to you in about six yeah. days, all right, man? Cutting a tree <laughs> down, you know, filling a pothole, we might take a few days. But, but, but dealing with somebody's mental health, and, and, and it's same with domestic violence. If, if a woman calls or a person calls for domestic violence, uh, we can't say we'll get back to you. Those issues need to be dealt with immediately. There's a lot of stress out there. And I know there's probably people listening today that, that are in that place. Uh, and even myself, like if you sit back too much and, and you start thinking, you, you go to a dark place really fast. And, and for me, what I try to do is talk to people and don't let myself get to that dark place. Because you get to that dark place, it can be lonely and, and, and it's not a good place to be. So real, this is just a quick segue. So as, an, as a recovering addict, I think a lot of people when people were like shocked when they heard liquor stores were essential, like was that weird for you making that decision, keeping them open through this whole thing? No, I mean, I, I think that there's certain things, there's certain aspects of life that we have to keep norms going. I mean, obviously, the liquor sales I heard are up 50%, and there's probably oh, killing it, totally killing it. A lot of people that are going to be joining me in the halls of, of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> um, and I'm not encouraging people to drink, but but I think there are certain things uh, that that you know, like even takeout in restaurants and things like that, and and allowing restaurants to sell beer and wine with dinner. Um, we have to, there has to be some norms that people, that people have to have. And I think that, that there are certain things that we have to move forward. I mean, you can't shut everything down. I mean, even like I'm doing, we're doing a lot more dinners at home, but you know, we, we do do the takeout. We do uh, try to get business, business and business, obviously, uh, because it's important because they're, they're employing people and they have to put food on their table. So trying to keep some of this um, open is really important. Hey, Slugs, you want to get a question off for the mayor, man? Um, and de Blasio had to send in like a riot squad to break it up. 
Um, Boston has a lot of religiously diverse communities. So if something like that were to happen in Boston, how would you deal with it? Great question. Let's go slugs. That's a fire question. Um, you know, we haven't had a situation like that, but we're asking people, I mean, the, the, we're asking people to, um, you know, th th there was also a case in Somerville, um, I think of a, of a church operating last week. I would ask the, the, the leadership of the church to really take into consideration uh, the congregation uh, and be careful with that. I mean, this virus is extremely contagious. And you can put a lot of people at risk, particularly older people generally go to funerals and things like that. Um, I'd ask people to be very careful. Uh, I think Mayor de Blasio addressed it afterwards. I think he might have thought it was the wrong way. We haven't seen anything like that here in Boston yet. I'm hoping we don't. Um, but I think it, you have to be very careful. It, it is about keeping people safe. Um, would, you, would you be the bad guy in that situation if you had to? No, I wouldn't want to be. I'd want to ask people to be safe and, and keep your distance, social distancing. I mean, I've known, unfortunately, now many people have lost loved ones during this virus. Um, and generally the funeral homes are only allowing 10 people in the funeral home. Um, and, and when they go to the graveside, it's only the immediate family uh, and, and the immediate immediate family, not like cousins and uncles and aunts. Um, so it's, it's a difficult situation. It's horrible to have you think about that. How did EC and Chelsea get so bad? She like turned out, it was out of nowhere. Just spiked. Yeah, I, I think, I think what happened there is, is, is housing crunch and, and intergenerational families living together. So you have the, you know, the husband and wife and the father and mother, you know, they have the grandparents and the family and the kids. And what happens is that they don't have a place to isolate. So if you're living in a two room house and there's three or four people living in it and you get the coronavirus, I mean, they, they want you to isolate in your own room. I mean, you don't have that ability to isolate your own room when you only have limited amounts of room in your house. So I think that that's one of the things that, that added to the confusion. And also a lot of, a lot of immigrants language barriers uh, that didn't quite understand about the coronavirus in the very beginning. Uh, and I think a lot of folks, in some cases undocumented, who are afraid to step up and say something because of, of their status. And what we've done in the city of Boston is we, we've done uh, multiple languages. We've done a couple lit drops in the city in multiple languages, seven or eight languages. We do a robocall once a you week. You speak to Gaelic, people. right? A little bit. How do you say you're a great guy in Gaelic? Uh, Tal Gama. All right. That was too fast. Tal Gama. <laughs> that means you're good. Oh, cool. All right. Tell it to tomorrow, Mayor Walsh. I love it. Um, so can you just, what are you looking forward to? Like, let's just get past all the morbidity for a sec. Is like anything good happening in your life right now, man? Yeah. People are awesome. I mean, I mean, people are incredible watching, watching people just, um, you know, just, uh, you know, being nice to each other. Um, that's all great stuff. I think that's boring. No, it is boring, but, but it's good. I, I think I'm grateful for the people that work at our food pantries every day and give food. We've given out 750,000 meals since this started. So people are still working at our food distribution sites. Uh, our nurses and doctors are, are keeping people safe, uh, which I'm grateful for that as, as a mayor. Uh, I'm grateful for, I mean, one thing I think. I that, mean, Marty though, Marty, like Marty, what the, am I grateful for? Mayor. I'm grateful for. No, not grateful. What are you like looking forward to? What are you pumped? Oh, looking forward to? Yeah. Oh, I want to be. I want to be. I want to be in Foxborough, in the first game of the Patriots seven season tickle. I want to be at the football game. Um, I wanted to maybe, uh, you know, there's concerts coming to Fenway. I think they were coming. I wouldn't mind going to see some of the concerts at Fenway. Uh, country Fest. Uh, country. No, I haven't been there. I've never been there, but um, I know that. Uh, I know that. Um, 
there's a couple of surprises I can't, I don't want to ruin them on the other that will come in the family this year. I think that we're going to be great. Um, you know, going, just walking around and seeing people. I, I miss that. Uh, maybe eating at an outdoor restaurant or at a restaurant somewhere in the city. I miss that. Um, I miss going to, we have these uh, street festivals that happen uh, in the city. I miss those. Um, this year is the fifth. Is the green, will the Greenway be open this year? It's open, but you got to keep social distancing. Oh, that's going to be weird. Listen, all you guys and ladies on this call, do me a favor, please. Just remember the social distancing. I know a lot of people don't think this is real. This is dead real. And, and my concern is that if you get the coronavirus, you bring it home. I have a mother that's 77, um, and she, she's not in the best of health. And I haven't had a chance to give her a hug or a kiss in, 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 in two months. And what last thing I want to do is be, be a carrier of coronavirus, not realize I have it, and, and pass it on to her. And the situation is really bad. So just do me a favor on this stuff. The, the way we've battled this thing back, this is something that, you know, we'll be talking about for the rest of our lives. And a hundred years from now, somebody will read the history books about this generation living through the coronavirus. So just general timeline wise, I know you can't really give us like a, an actual timeline, but when would you say things might start easing back into kind of normal? It's hard to say. I think over the summer potential, we'll have some, a little bit of that. I think, I think it's going to be, I think by the time we're back to where we were in February uh, in, in America, um, I would say it's probably going to be a year. At like least you're, at least you're honest, back, man. Before we're back to like, you know, the way we were, you're just out doing things. You see a random person, shake your hand, how you doing, what's going on. I think we're a year, a year before we get to that point. Sweet. Hey, I know you're, you got to run. So we got two bits to end the show. Yeah. The first bit. One, did you have fun? you have a good time? It was great. Hey, tell your cabinet. I've harassed them now 39 times to set this one up. I'm a good guy, guys. I promise. I just am persistent. So the first bit is called GDP sales mode. We're going to give you the floor for about 45 seconds to pitch whatever you're currently selling. Obviously, you're a politician. You got to probably pitch social distancing or something like that. We'll do that first, and then we'll do the ending bit afterwards, okay? Oh, God. All right. So you got 45 seconds. I'm going to give you a, a three-second countdown, and then you're just ready to rip it, okay? All right. Three, two, one, sales mode. When I was 21 years old, I worked in the building trades. I worked in construction. I made a lot of money. I, didn't, I bought new cars. I bought new clothes. I didn't save a penny in my life. As I got older, I realized when I wanted to buy a house at the age of 25, I couldn't because I didn't have anything to buy a house with. When I eventually bought my house at 29 years old, I had a little bit of money, but my father had money. He gave me some, some he gave me a down payment, helped me buy my first house. My pitch to you is, is make sure as you go through your life, make sure you put some money away because there's going to be a time when you need that money in your bank to be able to do something you want to do when you get older. That was not what I was expecting whatsoever, but Hey, we'll take it, man. Um, okay. This is how we start and end the episodes. You say, hi, your name. And this is my golden hour directly after no break. Hi, your name. And that was my golden hour. That's that awesome. make sense? I'll try right now. Let's do it. Hi, my name is Marty Walsh and this is my golden hour. Well, I keep saying Mayor Marty Walsh make right. it seem like more legit. All right. Hi, this is Mayor Martin Joseph Walsh. And uh, this is my golden hour. And then this is Mayor Marty Walsh. Martin Joseph Walsh. Let me do one more time. I disappear, <laughs> Martin Joseph Walsh, and that was my golden hour, I hope. Well executed, man. You got it done. Hey, thank you so much. We had a blast, and um, I want to get some T-shirts out. I'll make sure I hand sanitize my hands when I uh, 
pack them, but I want to get you guys some t-shirts and some, some bandanas. Yeah, make sure you do. I need a bandana. I haven't had one in about 35 years. Well, you got a face covering, right? I got a face cover, but the bandana on the head, you're talking about, right? Oh, you're talking no, about I'm talking about face cover. Hey, we're, yeah, we're marketing, man. Get, get it for me, man. I'll wear it at a press conference. Hey, I had a blast. Thank you so much. All right, bud. Talk to you soon. Have a good one.